you even dress for the occasion. Absolutely. I got my shirt. I got my Ravenclaw socks. I am also wearing my Slytherin socks. Perfect. Tara. Perfect. I don't have Gryffindor socks on. I have a Gryffindor mug. Uh, oh, that is true. Justice that for Tara. True. Somebody send her some Gryffindor socks. <laughs> do you have Gryffindor socks? I think I do. Because I have a Hogwarts crest. I'm wearing fuzzy socks right now. Steven has the mischief managed. Mischief managed cup. For the record, the Hogwarts crest goblin. It belongs is mine. to Tara. That's true. It's actually That's Steve's. True. Is yep. that the temperature changing? Yep. One? It is. I have that one too. <laughs> I bought it for Steve it. for Christmas a couple years ago. Welcome to Basics Hi, Nights. Hi, this is Special guest Stephen Ostertag. Hey, everybody. Yes. yes. Stephen, tell our listeners about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a Ravenclaw nerd, and I'm obsessed with this podcast. Yay! Yay. It makes me happy. It gives me a weekly fix of other Harry Potter nerds, which is great. I'm a theater person, so I've done shows with Tara. I've seen shows with you in mm-hmm. it. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Stephen, we're going to have Adam read the outline you wrote, but first okay. I have to tell you about chapter 12. Okay. Oh, wait. Did we say what we're reading? We said what we're reading, right? Very Secret Diary, chapter 13. Yeah. Yes. So chapter 12, the loser of the chapter is Malfoy, who literally is like, I would like this student to die. <laughs> also, get a life, because all you do is talk about how much you hate Harry and the Weasleys. Get a life. Mm. I fucking hate you. You piece of shit. Um, The winner of the chapter, even though it ends poorly for her, is Hermione. She Mm. is amazing. Her planning. Literally everything goes right, except for this one thing that turns her into a cat for several weeks, which kind of sucks. But also, like, Ron and Harry manage to get Crap and Goyle's hair. They manage to learn things. She makes the Polish's potion correctly. So... Yeah. And they still get to the end goal. The same thing happened. Right. You know? Yeah. Clear win for Hermione. Yes. Well. Very cool. So chapter 13, you want to read this? Sure. So I'm reading Steven's summary. Yay. Which is very exciting because usually I'm reading Tara's. No offense, Tara. But. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was fine until you said that. <laughs> Just read the fucking thing. Cool. Here we go. <laughs> chapter 13, Diary of an Evil Kid. Hermione is still feeling feline when school resumes after a holiday and the other students believe she was attacked. Haha, ha, that could never happen. Hermione keeps up with her homework thanks to Ron and Harry delivering everything to the hospital wing. The boys find a get well card, in quotes, get well, from everyone's favorite windbag who... Even, in writing, a card to someone who accidentally turned herself into a human-sized cat makes it all about him. So annoying. Oh, we hate him. Uh, (laughs) Harry and Ron leave the hospital wing and come across an angry filch and a flooded hallway. The flood leads the boys to moaning... To moaning... I can't say moaning. (laughs) I just said it. (laughs) Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Snitch is angry. Someone threw the book at her. Harry picks up the soggy diary of T.M. Riddle and then leave Myrtle to her feelings and her toilet. They look through the diary, but it's totally blank. J.K. never makes it easy. True. When Hermione is released from hospital, the three attempt to discover the diary secrets to no avail. But Harry and Hermione are successful at getting Ron to catch up. Oh, and good news. Harry is showing some obsessive behaviors with a book by an unknown author. Good things that'll never happen again. Right? 
<laughs> not foreshadowing at all. Nope. <sighs> the mandrakes are growing closer to being usable, which is great news, but Ernie McMillan is still blaming Harry for the attacks. Lockhart decides to throw a Valentine's Day bash, which includes Cupid dwarves with harps. Classy. <laughs> Harry gets a singing Valentine, and Malfoy jumps at the chance to be a jerk. But wait, why is Ginny so horrified by Harry and Malfoy fighting over a diary? Eh, probably nothing. In the scuffle with the dwarf, Harry's ink spills over everything, but the diary is spotless. Harry tests his inkling by inking the pages. That was shitty. <laughs> you know we drank during this thing. And ends up talking with T.M. Riddle. Riddle is super helpful and shows Harry how he caught the culprit. 50 years ago. Huzzah! A major lead in the mystery. Oh crap. It's Hagrid. That was really well done. Yay! Yay! Also, that was really shady. <laughs> Putting like a tongue twister in that thing. I might do that in the future. <laughs> so we open up. How do we open up the chapter here? Because I don't have my book with me. <laughs> Ronnie's still in the hospital wing. Yes. So this is another moment where Gwen Pomfrey comes in, and I realize that we have a ton of hospital time in this book. You really do. Like, in the past, we see Pomfrey one time, I think, in the first book. Yeah. But this time already, we have broken bones, we have petrified people, we have cat, humans. Humans? <laughs> Hey, uh, it's better than the cat's trailer. Right. Everything <laughs> so, is better than the cat's trailer. Everything is. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Reality. Sorry, Jennifer Hudson. Choices were made. There's that meme of the girl from Scary Movie, and it's just Jennifer Hudson singing like one note of memory. The one who's like screaming in the theater, and she's like, that's some scary shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, Hermione's being a good kid, doing her homework, even though everyone else is like, I wouldn't fucking do homework if I were right. a cat. Yeah. Th- if exactly. I were a cat, I wouldn't do homework. So, when I am homesick, even. I'll still keep an eye on my email and stuff. Like, over the Christmas holidays, I'll still be looking at my email, trying to get work done. I need to get to inbox zero every single day. And <laughs> my that's wife like is what the she's same doing. way. She's got to get that inbox to zero. It's like the biggest accomplishment. There's something very satisfying about it. Like, I have no more work to do. Like this... I work in healthcare. I don't have that option. <laughs> <laughs> now, in this instance, of course... It's just Hermione being Hermione and her thirst for knowledge, I think. Yeah. But I was like, oh, I love that. I can kind of relate to that, I think. So the next thing that we kind of see is they journey back into the bathroom. Because, you know, whenever they hear some kind of disturbance, instead of just getting the fuck out of there, they have to go investigate. Figure out what it is. This is how I know that I would never have been the star of these books. Because, like... If I hear something, I'm going to be like, oh, that sounds like it's going to be involved. I'm going to go the opposite direction. That's why my story is boring. So thank God that they make these weird choices. To like <laughs> that we have something to see. everything. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't identify with their decision making, but I enjoy it. Yeah. They see a little flooded hallway. Let's see where it leads. Yeah. yeah. That's the kind of shit I would do. <laughs> like the funniest thing to me about this moment with Filch is he's all angry and everything about having to mop all day. You work in a magic school and they make you mop manually? That is just fucking rude. <laughs> Tara talks about I've this I've always been thinking about that. I'm this like, poor guy. Thank you. He's already got like one ding because he's not magical. You can't like enchant some stuff. Like reverse so aquamentia yeah, or whatever. Yeah, like, uh, 
It just seems rude. I still wonder, is there someone else helping him? Like, are there other filches out there? Are there, like, other people who work with Argus to help clean the castle? Because, like, that's a big job, even if you have magic. I feel like, honestly, it was maybe just, like, an oversight when she created the character, and then she's like, well, this is where we are now. (laughs) And now it's just kind of amusing. Yeah. But it's also, when you're trying to look at it logically, you go, really awful. Yeah. This guy is a psycho, and he wants to hang children from the ceiling in, like, handcuffs and chains, and would be happy if children didn't exist. Like, he's not a good guy, but also, why does he have to be the person that mops up the floor? And then, of course, we realize that it's flooded because Myrtle is in agony. I absolutely love Myrtle, but there's something about her that I just really, really enjoy. And this is the moment where someone threw a book at her. First of all, oh, of course we're not to the movie yet, but this is so close to the to yeah. what she says in yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. About like five points through her stomach, ten points through the head. But then Ron's reaction to this is so spot on. He's right about magic books. And he even says something about maybe this Tom Riddle guy murdered Myrtle. One of my favorite things in the whole series is all of the stuff that you go back and you're like, wow, Ron says so many important things. Mm, yeah. It's really cool storytelling. He's brilliant in this <clears throat> book. We've talked about this a lot lately, too. I mean, even the Dobby thing at the beginning of the book where they're trying to figure out who does Dobby belong to and they talk about the Malfoys. They have the little moment where they think that Lucius and Draco are the um, heir of Slytherin, but then this is another one where I'm like, yes, Ron. People discount Ron a lot, but if they really, like, look at what he's saying, like, it's right there. Yeah. He knows what he's talking about without knowing what he's talking about, you know? That's really a huge value of Ron, I think. He's really the one that we're getting our information from in this book. I don't know that I'm 100% against the idea of never being allowed to stop reading a book. Oh, like, like that that's was the interesting. That's I mean, I probably would like to be able to stop reading it, you know, to like do normal things. But yeah. That's really a very interesting concept, and I'm kind of sad that it's never revisited ever again. Like no one ever talks about things like that. Again. But like that being said, like if you were an actual magical person in this world, that would be like such a great excuse. Like right. I'm sorry, I can't put this down. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> magic. I can't stop reading. Like, that'd be the greatest excuse. Hey, do you want to go out for dinner and drinks? No, I'm busy. I have to read this book. (laughs) Yes. Because I'm cursed. (laughs) Sorry about it. I also like that this moment helps, like, establish this concept of objects being able to be enchanted in a way that can hurt you without any warning. Right. So that sets up what we get later with Katie Bell years from now. Right. Yes. Just um, in general. Which is really cool. Yeah. And just how Harry kind of like throws aside the idea of that. Right. Because again, they're kids. Yeah. Not thinking about that. We talk a lot about every time there's something new introduced that's magical. Like in this moment, I'm thinking of like the Remember All, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, here's another thing that is like a magical life hack sort of instance. But I think you're right. This is one of the first times where we see something that is cursed. I mean, of course there's the diary too, but we have a lot more to learn about that Mm. first. So It's really interesting though. So you had mentioned how Harry is not afraid of this book, but throughout this entire chapter, I feel like there's this like major attraction that he has to it. He's like obsessed Mm -hmm. with it. He's always like tinkering around with it. He can't stop putting it down. And I think this is one of the first times where there's like this Horcrux attraction where he's like somehow drawn to this thing without realizing why. And I wonder if that is really what it is instead of just his innate curiosity towards this 
blank book. I really liked that in the portion that's talking about his like obsession with this book, she describes it as he feels like this someone that he knows or knew. Yeah. And so it's like it establishes even more this connection that like on a subconscious level, this major traumatic event like imprinted that person Mm -hmm. on him in such a way that like he can just feel it i love that yeah that's the deeper reading than i even saw Mm -hmm. and that's kind of something i think i want to pay attention more like i don't necessarily know if we see it again but who knows maybe there's some additional like hidden message when we get closer to like the locket for example right i also noticed when harry and hermione and ron who doesn't really care Go to the trophy room. Mm -hmm. And Ron says this. He sounds like Percy, said Ron, wrinkling his nose in disgust. Prefect, head boy, probably top of every class. Percy is not head boy yet. Percy is head boy in book three, which is very interesting. Mm. Bill was also head boy. Yeah. But he doesn't talk about Bill. He talks about Percy. That's so interesting. There are two things that I thought of there. Like, I wonder if, first, we don't see Bill's personality at all. We really I don't. imagine he doesn't prance around kind of like Percy does, bragging about his prefect status. But then also, I mean, everyone knows I like the Trelawneyisms, like psychic stuff yeah. and crystals and tarot cards and all that. Like, it makes me wonder, he is projecting some sort of psychic energy out there? I don't know. But, or maybe it's just a mistake. Same things that are not necessarily, like, like they don't really have any impact on the story. But then when you go back, you're like, oh, Ron said that. Yeah. Yeah. I also just like to pay attention to who says things because, like, the movies will change shit up, so. But, I mean, even the same thing about, like, maybe he's the one who killed Myrtle. He's sort of predicting it, you know? Yeah. You're right, actually. <laughs> yeah. The psychic tendencies of Ron. Like, a new way to read the series. <laughs> right. Something like that. The other thing during the whole scene with the trophy room that I thought of, Riddle's trophy is still kind of out in the open. It's kind of surprising to me that they don't have it, like, even pushed further back. Yeah. But with the whole slug moment that happened, too, a few chapters ago, Ron still remembers Tom Riddle's name Mm -hmm. from the trophy room. I wonder why they didn't push it away or, you know, move it to the room of requirement or something like that, you know? That's a really good point, because, like, you would think, given the atrocities, that they'd kind of want to not have so much representation. I mean, literally having that out there is inviting people to be like, so what did Tom Riddle do? Yeah. Who's that? You know, you see a giant-ass trophy that says special services to the school. It's not like a Quidditch trophy. That suggests something mysterious or something interesting at least that would make me be oh what did you do for the school i want to know about this person we finally learn what happens to the mandrakes i've been saying it for a couple episodes now and they actually even like say it worse than i expected because they chop them up and stew them and they give them more personality traits of like now they're teenagers because they're like very quiet or something like that yeah it makes me super uncomfortable Uh how personified they get yeah when we all know we're going to chop them we're going to murder these like stop referring to them in these superhuman ways (laughs) yeah because it makes me feel icky (laughs) madame pomfrey was pleased to report why was madame pomfrey pleased to report because she wants to unfreeze these bitches and get them out of her infirmary why she's not talking about professor sprout i mean let's be honest Two Quens. Now Pomfrey. that's a relationship that I totally ship. Were we talking about OTPs? Pomfrey and Drought. I like it. Madame Pomfrey was pleased to report that the Mandrakes were becoming moody and secretive. Yes. Meaning that they were fast leaving childhood. 
the moment their acne clears up, they'll be ready for repotting again. It is like totally. And after dangerous. that, it won't be long until we're cutting them up and stewing them. No! The funny thing is, too, like looking at the demographic of these books, probably at the time, it's teenagers, so they're there with it. Previously, I was kind of thinking, like, okay, do they just like exfoliate them or something? <laughs> like, is that enough? You them up. Hey, I mean, in the portion where Hermione is out of the hospital and she's doing her skills trying to reveal stuff out of the diary, knowing more magic spells than the boys always. Always. She at one point pulls out a revealer, which is basically just a magic eraser that works in reverse. The nerd in me gets so excited when I get to see these functional things like <laughs> office supplies. And it just, like, it makes me so happy. Magical office supplies. We, we've talked about this in the past. Yes, I like, love it. Magical office supplies. Like, the they were highlighting notes. That's what it was yeah. in the last one. And I was like, there's got to be, like, a magical way to do it. And see? Proof that there's magical office supplies. So I love good. it. I don't think I remembered that until I was reading it. I was like, oh, yeah, and she did this. We're talking about magical office supplies. Yeah. I, I mean, she it. bought that in Diagon Alley. So why don't we ever get to visit the office Supply yes! Store. Office supply in store at Diagon Alley, right? Like, like magical Office yes. Max. There's room for a pun there. I mean, you could just call it like Office M-A-G-S. Office Max. That's not a great pun. <laughs> Please write into us if you have a good pun for a magical office supply store. Absolutely. Perhaps we can get them to make it at Wizarding World and then when we go down there. Yes! And Lockhart, before Valentine's Day, you know, has to tell them, don't worry, I have come up with a great thing to make everyone happy. Also, I don't think the person's going to come back because I'm so great and oh. I scared them away. And, like, I just imagine McGonagall being like, oh, for fuck's sake, shut up. I absolutely love the fact that he does this, like, monologue at her. Bitch is so cool that she can't even be bothered to reply. She, she just lets him talk. <laughs> Move along. She's done. Get out of your system. Love it. That sort of thing. We've talked a lot about, like, McGonagall not giving a shit lately. <laughs> about Lockhart in particular. And, of course, Lockhart makes this whole exciting thing about everyone's favorite holiday. <laughs> Valentine's Zero Day. Zero people's favorite holiday. We call it Triple Christmas because it's also Christmas time now. Yes. We were just talking about Triple Christmas, and now here we are talking about VD. Which not is how I like to call it. Not, not a fan. No. No one likes Valentine's Day. There's so much pressure involved. Fabricated pressure. I don't need that. I put pressure on myself every day anyway. <laughs> I, I don't need your shit Bingo. Valentine's Day. <laughs> In every single way. I mean, I think of the same thing with like Christmas and stuff, but there's like nice things like gratitude that you have at Christmas. I feel like during Valentine's Day, it's just like bragging about what you have that other people don't have. Maybe mm -hmm. does, is, yeah. does that sound accurate? Kind of, yeah. And like also people who like, really love Valentine's Day at least. If, like what does Valentine's Day mean? And you know how like people give gifts and stuff at Christmas or whatever, but it's like it feels like thought goes into that and you're you buy, Valentine's Day it's like I'm getting a teddy bear or chocolate. I don't need that shit. I love snuggly teddy bears. They're very nice. I don't need them at Valentine's Day. If you want to show your love for me, I mean you buy me bourbon. Right. For every holiday. Now, yeah. Now, if you want to give me bourbon on Valentine's Day, then I might like it a little more. When but... I come to trick-or-treat at your house, bourbon. <laughs> well, and also, like, it puts a weird pressure on people who are either they're not in a relationship and they want to be, mm -hmm. or they're perfectly happy 364 days of the year to not be in a relationship, but they feel pressure 
to be somewhere with someone on that one day because yeah. if they're not, right. they've somehow failed. And I'm yeah. like, or, I mean, on the flip side, if someone's in a relationship and they don't want to, like, necessarily publicize mm-hmm. it or anything like that and they're happy with just it being what it is, mm-hmm. on this specific day, there feels like this pressure to, like, push it out more maybe. Right. Yeah, know. it's he's a weird house. Also, like, he turns the whole fucking Great Hall pink, which is just oh. not a say. I love that she calls it lurid pink. Like, that is so descriptive. Right. That is, it is the most is disgusting mom. pink. He embarrasses other professors. Also, he's, like, saying, like, please walk up to Professor Snape and ask him to make you a love potion. Love potions are not allowed. We learn about that later and why that's a danger. He embarrasses Flitwick and he paints these poor fucking dwarves. They're all wearing gold wings. Those poor things. Yeah, they're not here for it. I do want to go back to what you said about the professors not, like, giving into his bullshit. It, like, goes through every single professor and, like, describes how they are just, like, tight-lipped and, like... Yeah. pissed off about it's this. It's pretty funny. I love it. I love... Um, McGonagall's got, like, a twitch going in her face. <laughs> yeah. She's that pissed off right now. Right? The teachers on either side of him were looking stony-faced. I love it. Everyone against Lockhart is what it feels like. In this well, they all hate like, him. Yes, we've kind of seen that before. In the Dueling Club, we were talking about how... Snape is there because it's possible that he went through like every other professor and Snape was like sure I'll do it because he wants the defense against the dark arts job right. or he wants to fuck around with Snape but here's a moment where we see like all of them in solidarity against him which yeah. I really really love. So. And how gross is it that in his speech he's like thank you to the 46 people who have given me <laughs> cards so far. Yes. Like Openly implying, if you haven't yet, you should get on it. You still have time. So gross. Yep. Well, I guess that, so that makes sense that he is loving this holiday because it is such a narcissistic holiday too. I guess when I was reading this, it made me think back to like elementary school where you were kind of like forced to pass out these like boxed Valentine's Day cards. And back then it was kind of made to just be, like, an extra fun little activity. Yeah. But now, as, like, adults, you can roll your eyes at a lot more. So, in that way, it kind of gave me that, like, kind of nostalgic, like, cuteness, but in this different environment... But that's where like it's a teacher, Yeah. Where it's a teacher and a kid's, it's like, come on. This is not one of the ones that they choose to have parties over. Right. They have their Halloween party. They have their Christmas party. I mean, both of those are technically like founded on pagan rituals anyways. And Valentine's Day is just founded on capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. And even when the dwarves are passing out the Valentines, like, they're aggressive. They're aggressive. They're not liking their job at all. Yes. And that's how it moves on into the next part of the story. Mm -hmm. There's this little thing where... Poor Jenny. The dwarf is delivering her valentine to Harry. It gets a little bit too aggressive with Harry. Rips open his bag. The ink gets everywhere. Good on Harry for kind of noticing, like, even after all of that, the diary is the only thing that doesn't have the ink on it. Which further expounds upon his obsession with this new thing that he found. Yeah. I want to give a hand to Jenny. That takes a lot of bravery. Yeah. Especially considering everything she's going through right now. Yeah. This is kind of overlooked. Like, you forget about this. She watches him be embarrassed by it. And then Malfoy says that to her. 
Right. You are great, Janine. I'm so sorry. Oh. Also, I love that Harry's like, fuck this, I'm doing magic in the hallway. Give me <laughs> it's badass. He just learned Expelliarmus. It's pretty I awesome. That. So then he starts leaving through it, trying to like find out more about how can I get some information out of this thing? Why did it soak up all the ink, etc.? I really love his like experimental approach here. The last few chapters, they've been on this role of really like becoming more intellectual and learning a little bit more about all of these different elements and here he is without Ron and Hermione who's doing the same thing and then that's where we dive into the diary. Taking one step back into the yes. tussle in the hall there's a little bit here about Ron wanting to come to the rescue too. Harry's like nope don't do that. It's because Ron's still having issues with this broken one. As a parent if my child was as scholastically challenged as Ron is I would not hinder my child by not replacing their wand as quickly as possible. I know it's money's tight, but what is he going to do at magic school without a, a working wand? Yeah. It just feels so bad that he's still dealing with this. And obviously we need it later, but like poor kid. I yeah. Know. I he's feel gotta that. be suffering in like every class. We talked about how Man, he's like suffered enough at this point. Right. And by this point, Hermione says it too. That right. I mean, even after the howler. I did like that Harry is like, nah, Ron mom armed Harry earlier in the chapter. It didn't mm -hmm. work. Harry still, you know, right. got the diary back. We were talking about this in the last chapter. Just, I like them all caring for each other. Mm -hmm. And like, this is just an instinctual thing. But I agree, we're not doing Ron any favors. And I love that JK writes a lot of these moments. She never points them out. She mm -hmm. just lets them be this natural thing. I think it like sends a really positive message to readers of all ages, but especially the kids. They read this, it's not super pointed out. You just see it as, oh, that's a natural thing I should be doing is looking out for my friends. Mm -hmm. And it's just another one of the subversive things that she slides through. We're writing to Tom Riddle in his yep, diary. Yeah, to Tom Riddle. He's going to show you some shit. You go back in time, you'd learn a little bit more about Tom Riddle and Voldemort and his, like, kind of backstory here, which I think is interesting. Here, learning some of those things, I know we're not in the movie yet, but things like the orphanage and a little bit more about his parents and things like that. That was kind of interesting to me because um, I forgot that it was mentioned this early on. And then, of course, the kicker at the end is that the person that Tom Riddle is trying to frame is Hagrid. And in the past uh, couple chapters, we were talking about how Hagrid has started to kind of pop up. One thing I liked about the description of getting into the diary, the way that she did it, you can tell where technology was and cinematography was when she was writing it yeah because she didn't have the words or the images to do it in a way that was like super smooth so she had to like compare it to other things like a little square that sort of turns into a screen and it just gets bigger and bigger and then you fall through which is great visual yeah she had to make that a little bit chunkier just to get it another movie kind of comparison when you were watching it it is completely different than how she explains it it's done in a little bit more of an artistic way but that's a great way to explain why it says it like this in the book too. Yeah. I love Harry trying to talk to <laughs> Professor Dippet. 
like, um, I'm sorry. I won't disturb you. Like, I would just be like, fucking bye. Clearly, you don't know I'm here. I think it's exactly how any of us would be. I read this chapter like three times in the last week and a half. This most recent reading, another thought occurred to me that like, I'm going to be totally honest, I look for like the saddest possible thing a lot of times. We're the same person! (laughs) So like, this most recent time that I read it, I thought, is he just so used to adults flat out ignoring him that like he doesn't know how to get out of that awkward moment because they're not even acknowledging him. Oh my god. And that's I was like, that's so sad. It's so sad and also I'm 10,000% there with you. Wow. Poor kid. At this point we're now so removed from the Dursleys. Mm-hmm. It's kind of cool to kind of bring that up in like his typical day to day. Well and he was talking about the Dursleys what in a couple chapters ago. Because of Christmas. Even before that when Ernie McMillan's like we hear you hate Oh yeah that too. you that's live the Dursleys are kind of present. And actually, when shit's going down for Harry, like, in this book, and then I also feel like the fifth book, too, their presence is kind mm-hmm. of there. We've made some comparisons with Umbridge, too. The Dursleys are a little bit more removed when we get to Umbridge, and maybe that's why Umbridge is as bad as she is, because there are times where Umbridge is no different than Snape. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure when we get to Umbridge, we're going to have a lot to say <laughs> But when he's talking about the diary feeling like a friend in a way, it's heartbreaking to me. But he says, Riddle was a friend he had when he was very small and had half forgotten. But this was absurd. He'd never had friends before Hogwarts. Dudley made sure of that. It just hurts oh, so bad. But like, gosh. there's potential that he could have made friends at school. Dirdly, Dirdly, Dirdly. No, Dirdly. It it's fine. <laughs> Dirdly. That's what his name is now. Dudley was like, mm, no, I'm gonna ruin that for you too. Yeah. That way you can't have any positive, even when you're not at home. Yeah. That sucks. I do think I immerse myself into it at a point where I forget about them sometimes, but they really are more present than you think. In this memory, I think it's really important for us to make those connections between Harry and Tom. You read this for the first time and you feel pretty bad for Tom. You're mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's he's a little bit prissy. He's... Yeah. Oh, there's Baxter. Come on your chair. Hi, Kit. They're all his chair. This is his house. This is his house. Uh, <laughs> that sounded angry. Are you okay? He's just You took bitch. his pizza. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> he was like, he said I couldn't have pizza. Must eat pizza. Actually, don't be an asshole. I feel like Riddle feels untrustworthy the first time you read this. Again, I first read these books when I was basically an adult. Mm-hmm. So I didn't read this as a 12-year-old or whatever. And he feels untrustworthy, but not like to the extent of what he is until the end of the book. The cool parallel between them is kind of the exploration of the series in one way. You can have a really shitty beginning. It's what you do beyond that that sort of determines your legacy and who you are known to be. And it's like they both had serious obstacles. Tom just sort of let it bring him down. Let the shame of other people influence the way he saw himself and his world rather than just sort of letting it go. So it's like, it's really interesting to explore those complex uh, ideas. You also, in this moment, looking back on it, once you get to know him more later on, how he tries to take control of everything. 
you know, he has this conversation with Professor Dippet and is like, this is what I have to do next and this is how I'm going to control the situation. Obviously, we know he's been the one who's been doing this. He's like, how do I frame this so that it works out in my favor and it doesn't affect me? He's very controlling and very smart. Lastly, the first time I've read this book and realized this, the first person whose memory Harry goes inside Mm -hmm. is Voldemort's. Interesting. Like, I had, like, a mind-blown moment. Yeah. He goes into so many memories throughout the series. I love that it's basically the same principle that we see later, where you sort of, like, get dropped into somebody's memory. But this is just a completely different way of getting there. Does that mean that you can store them any way you want? Because that would be super cool. Like, you could develop that idea in so many different ways that it's not just so cut and dry, like, this is how we do it. Right. Um, You can sort of do it your own way. This way, it seems a little bit darker because we learn later that it involves, like, leaving a piece of your soul behind. Which I don't think is how the other way works. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've read this series a few times. I don't think it's how it works. Given how many times Dumbledore has pulled memories out. Explain yourself, Dumbledore. I'm trying super hard to read this at the same pace that the episodes are coming out. Which is difficult. Oh, man. <laughs> it is. Bless you. Yeah, seriously. But, like, things like that allow me to, like, put it down and just sort of, like, ruminate on all these little things and these ephemeral ideas that I can, like, explore and dissect on my own. Like, if you can put so much in there that people can just wander, I love it. I kind of feel like this book in general is like the lost gem of the series Mm -hmm. because there's so much backstory and world building and introduction to magic that is just kind of forgotten about. I think a lot of people will be quick to be like, Chamber of Secrets is my least favorite book. Nothing happens. This one has so many little gems in it. Mm -hmm. Like you can't get to the other books without this book Mm -hmm. because of everything else. I think rereading it this time... And it, you're right, on a chapter-to-chapter level, like, you do notice these things. When we got to the Valentine's Day, I completely forgot that this even happened. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? the, the thing I always think about with this book is, like, Death Day Party. That That's mm-hmm. the one that is missing in the movies, but it's pretty great when you really try to analyze it. Like, an actual scholarly text, I guess. Yeah. So. I love when you can, like, make connections outside of the series. I've heard, uh, maybe it was even on the podcast, the idea that Mary Poppins is the same type of witch as in this world. Talking so much about the diary got me thinking, is it possible the ring in The Lord of Rings is a horcrux? And that's why people get so obsessed with it. Oh my god! Interesting. Oh, I love that. Now I need to start thinking of, like, other series, too. Yeah. I like connecting things a lot. It's so much like, fun. Yeah. I'm literally about to start a reread of the Lord of the Rings series, so that's going to be in my yeah. brain. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, the things that I read are self-help, mindfulness kind of stuff. Yeah. Murder mysteries <laughs> from the 1920s. And Harry Potter. Those are, like, my three go-tos. So it's not... Like, it's a stretch to connect, like, something from this to an Agatha Christie book. But, like, I, I have love to that think challenge, of, like, other though. stuff. Right? Yeah, man, me too. How can I relate? How Miss Marple about to be wandering the stalls of Hogwarts. See, well, even Poirot, he could potentially be a wizard. I'm sure I could find some traits that fit him into this kind of series. Um, another one that I know I mentioned because... Professor Sprout is her aunt, is Franny Fisher. Sherlock Holmes, that's the one that I want to He's another one that would be kind of cool. We like reading things. Yeah, all of them. Oh, yeah. 
chance to watch the movie. Uh, yes. So the main thing um, is that we have no Valentine's Day, which Darn. fine. But there are a few more like uh, minute details that are kind of missing or different in the movie, or things about like how the actors portray things. One big thing that I noticed was Dumbledore in the diary and his like mannerisms and how similar they are to nowadays. Like even in the book, Harry says something along the lines of. The way that Riddle says no is very similar to how Harry said no yeah. when Dumbledore asked him. And Dumbledore gives him this, like, a really bitch look. And yeah. it's very similar to when Lockhart said something along the lines of, I know who's doing this, or I can make the potion to... And yeah. Dumbledore's like, really? <laughs> the scene where they run into the bathroom. I like that they run in and Myrtle's, like, sitting up on the over by the window or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think that that looks really cool. I do want to point out that in the movie, this is why people don't like Ron. In the movie, Ron says... Oh, it won't hurt if we it throw won't it hurt. Yeah. Harry says it in the book. Yeah. Uh, like, give Ron a fucking break. Yeah. yeah. We touched on in the past about how Ron is like the comic relief. And I think this is another moment where Ron is kind of like the trope of the one who kind of falls into that role. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. comic relief right. per se, but like the idiot, I suppose, right. in quotes. Which is a shame because this is such a good book for him. That's another moment, though, too, when they like focus on the mirror where the architecture again, like, especially these last two chapters in the movie, I'm just like, ugh. Yeah. So beautiful. But I mean, really, from that point on, they cut right to Harry mm-hmm. writing in the, in the diary. We were commenting on Harry's handwriting. Versus, <laughs> yes. Because Tom Riddle's handwriting is, like, flawless. Daniel Radcliffe's right. is 12-year-old yeah. boy. Yeah. I mentioned that he's writing with a feather in, like, the yeah. 90s. Like, really? Again, <laughs> yeah. magical office supplies. Can't we get, like, some pens or something? Like, yeah. like it's not like they don't exist. Yeah. Right. Shit, we know that, like, Rita Skeeter has a magical pen. Don't they have, like, a place where you can get supplies, like, right on the Hogwarts campus? I love in the movie how Harry is just so sweet and patient with extreme personalities. Ron instantly goes to annoyed, like, this person's too much, I can't take it. And Harry is always so kind about it. He is willing to talk it through with her even though she's screaming and yelling at him and throwing her fist through his friend's head, like, he's just, let's help you move on from whatever just happened. And, like, I just think it's such a sweet part of his character that can be undervalued. I'm really glad you said that because that's kind of been my take on specifically Daniel Radcliffe as Harry. You can't not like him. Mm -hmm. Even in, like, later movies where he has to kind of be an asshole in some situations. But we know that's not really you and you're just a stressed yeah. child and stuff yeah. like in say like the fourth and fifth and sixth books where there's so much happening in his head he's such a skilled actor especially at that point in the series yeah. where he can portray what you need i'm excited to kind of see like how it builds on where he goes through a little bit more teenage angst too mm-hmm. on top of all the trauma and right. the responsibilities that he has to uphold we talked about this when we watched it i think it's creepy that they put the dead body in there the hand really kind fucking of like creepy off the side yeah. of the there's a teenager in the hallway just watching and no one is like magic curtain so you can't see like i i don't understand dumbledore's like what are you doing tom not you can't see this make magic happen so he can't like yeah yeah it's always like the teachers and their kind of shortcomings there's so many moments with it I already kind of really touched on it, but the some of the introduction into Tom Riddle's life is missing. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. It's interesting to know that he comes from, like, the orphanage background 
now. It's very similar to the Myrtle timeline. We learn about Myrtle much later in the movies as well. I don't think it necessarily loses anything. The kid who plays Tom Riddle, I'm mostly disappointed that he's not the same kid who plays Tom Riddle in the later movies. I think he's perfect. I think the edits that they made from the book to the screen are totally fine. Mm -hmm. I don't miss extra episodes with Lockhart. I don't need those in my right. life. Again, we, we love <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. He's, Absolutely. He's fantastic in the role. That doesn't mean that we need more time with his character. Yeah. I think it's also a testament to his talent and, like, Emilda Staunton that, like, you hate watching them so much, but it's because they're doing a good job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, like, I've heard Emilda Staunton talk about, like, she gets crap all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, that's not me! <laughs> There's this one special interview where she talks about in the book how she's, like, the toad. And yeah. she's like, well, that wasn't very nice. And she's she's like, adorable. It makes you love her even more. There's, there's yeah. an interview with Chris Rankin, who plays Percy Weasley, and he was talking about this transition, because he wasn't in the fourth movie, but his transition from the third movie into the fifth movie and how he was, like, that I was suddenly around all the adults. And one day, Imelda Staunton was, like, right next to him in the dressing room and he was just like just about how kind and sweet and unlike her character she was and I was like I love that so much. (laughs) That's great. You know. All right (laughs) so the last two chapters the same thing has happened that's going to happen in this one all three get ten. All three as in like Harry, Hermione, and Ron. Ron makes a lot of great observations again about magic books not necessarily always being a great thing. Maybe he murdered Myrtle, the whole like psychic Ron thing. That's definitely something I think I want to like keep an eye on how much more psychic he's going to become. Hermione like still doing her work while healing from being a cat. Harry's obsession with the diary and kind of his like unlocking of it. Uh, I love all of it. Plus 10 to Quinn Pomfrey for protecting Hermione from classmates and Snape. We didn't talk too much about that, but first of all, she's a cat. Like, how else did she become the cat? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like Snape would quickly kind of realize, oh, that's where that boom slang skin went. And then she was dumb enough to get, like, the cat hair. You know Pomfrey kind of, like, is protecting her, especially a little bit of a departure from points. Something that I thought of is back in the first book when Snape kind of got roughed up by Fluffy and he went to his boyfriend Filch (laughs) instead of Quinn Pomfrey. Like, is there some sort of, like, discordance between him and Pomfrey? Like, I don't know, maybe interesting? I mean, there's no proof of that here, just a secondary storyline that I kind of came up with. (laughs) But anyways, Quinn Pomfrey is getting five points. Plus 10 to Myrtle for the diary, again. When we saw her again, I was like, oh, it's Myrtle again. And (laughs) Tara's like, she's bullying Hermione right now. I'm like, I know, but I love Myrtle. Um, (laughs) So. Hermione was rude. And in this moment, she is kind of going through a little bit of suffering. She's being maybe reminded more of her death. I mean, she doesn't need to flood the whole school for it, but whatever. You do you, Myrtle, I guess. And then plus five to Hagrid, because at the very end, like, he's being framed. Uh, The only point taking away this time is negative five to Lockhart, because Valentine's Day sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And then negative ten to Tom Riddle slash Voldemort. And that's, like, a starting point, because, of course, more will come from that. And, like, yeah, in the frame of the chapter, I guess it's kind of backwards. Like, one could say, oh, we should give them to Tom Riddle and take them away from Hagrid, but I know what happens, so fuck that. I don't know, my own way of giving... You do your own thing. Points are my thing. I'm gonna give them how I, how I want to. So that is plus ten Harry, plus ten Hermione, plus ten Ron, plus ten Myrtle, 
plus 5 Pomfrey, plus 5 Hagrid, negative 10 Tom Riddle, negative 15 Lockhart. All right. Did you have fun? I had so much fun. <laughs> you brought so many great things to this. Things that we've yes. talked about, for sure, but new things that we haven't done and the things that we've kind of explored, you added a new vibrancy to them oh, that I think is really, really nice. That's a good word. Thank you for doing this. Yes. Thank you Absolutely. for uh, always humoring me when I harass you on social media. It was really good to have you. Thank you yes. so much for having me. I'm excited to have you back yeah. in free. Yes. yes. Definitely. <laughs> Next time we have like new guests, this was like the perfect. I set the precedent. Yeah. So yeah. if you uh, think you want to be part of those podcasts, remember you have to be as good as Steven. Yeah. Bring it. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> so next time we'll be reading chapter 13. I don't know what it is. It's usual. It's, no, it's, it's not chapter, chapter 13. 14. It's chapter 14. See? And Y'all are I used to this. Ready. I don't know what's next. Chapter 14 is Cornelius Fudge. Great. <laughs> we haven't had enough dicks. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. Okay. Thanks for being here, Steven. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for listening. Snitches. Enjoy. We'll See talk you to you later. Bye. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, snitches. snitches!